This episode of the Insurance Coffee House is sponsored by Insurance Search. Insurance Search provides executive recruitment services to insurance companies and brokers in the UK and across the United States. Visit insurance-search.com for more details. The Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get to meet and learn from some of the most successful insurance business leaders from across the world. Hosted by Nick Hoadley, CEO of Insurance Search. Welcome to the Insurance Coffee House Global InsureTech Series. I'm Nick Hoadley, and each week you can join me as I interview leading InsureTech executives from around the world. We will be learning about the different InsureTech technologies and finding out how they can be a benefit to both insurance brokers and carriers when it comes to delivering for your customers. We'll also be learning about the different career opportunities available to insurance leaders within the InsureTech space and what benefits that can give to your career. I hope you enjoy the show. Today, I'm joined by Corey Isaacson, who is CEO and co-founder at Rethought Insurance. Rethought are a flood risk insure tech, and they're based in Colorado, where that's where Corey joins me this morning. Welcome to the show, Corey. Great to have you on board today. Great to be here, Nick. Thanks for inviting me. Is that an accurate description of the business there? It is. It is. We are we are basically the, the best underwriters of flood, flood risk and flood insurance. And so we're an MGA. Great. Well, Corey, before we discuss Rethought, would you mind sharing with our listeners a little bit more about your personal background, your personal career journey, and what led to you starting up the business? Yeah, it's a very interesting story, actually. So I um, I have been in tech all my career, and I ended up being the chief technology officer for risk management solutions for a couple of years. And so I got very interested in the insurance business because I saw all the problems that could be improved and all of the, all of the areas to improve it. And I actually um, started meeting with a, a venture capital partner that's a good friend of mine and asking him uh, what I was going to do when I grow up. And uh, anyway, so I, I've been through several exits and different kinds of startups, bootstrap, funded, all kinds of things. And he said, well, you have to do something in insurance. I said, that's a given. And I had a lot of different ideas, but he said, why don't you start an actual insurance company? And I said, wow, that's a fascinating concept. Let me, uh, let me look into that. So that's what happened. So then we were looking for what's a good market um, to go after. And I ended up meeting with another friend of mine who used to be at RMS, who started a flood modeling company. And I went and met with him and he showed me everything about the flood market. And he said, he said, it's a fantastic opportunity. He said, but I'm not enough of a risk taker to take it on uh, as an insurance company, but you are and you should do it. So that's kind of what got me thinking. Let's put it that way. Fantastic. Fantastic. And in terms of the flood market. What is the potential opportunity there? What are the solutions that you can bring to either policyholders or for brokers maybe who are looking for a solution for their client? Yes. So the flood market has been the most difficult to insure apparel um, ever. Um, it's the hardest thing to do. That's one of the reasons we picked it. Uh, so yeah. we wanted to go into something that was very, very challenging. And not only that, we went into commercial and high net worth homes. So we didn't do low end things where we, we did things with higher limits, which made it even more challenging because we can lose millions of dollars on one building. So we have to be much, much better at underwriting. And we said, if we can tackle that problem adequately, then we can help the whole market do it. 
So the, the issue with FLED is that um, it's been mostly provided by the government. When we started, that's that's mostly how it was. But essentially, insurance companies were running away from the risk or at least curtailing it. You know, they, they really didn't like it at the time. And so it was very, very hard to get private coverage. And the government policy is limited. It doesn't cover a lot of things, you know, like for instance, contents in a basement, it doesn't cover the coverage. It's harder to deal with the government if you have a claim. So all those things were very unattractive. And all the brokers knew that, but there weren't really good options. And so there were two approaches. One was to go after the lower end residential market and try and get a lot of policies. We decided not to do that because that was basically competing with the government pricing. And what you had to do is essentially underprice the government. That was that was the idea. So that was one idea. And that was an okay strategy. But the problem was we weren't sure how long that was going to last. And sure enough, the government has refactored their pricing now. And I think that's going to affect a lot of the players who are in that space. So we said, can we go after commercial and high net worth homes where more coverage is needed? You couldn't get the government policy anyway for that. So that's where we decided to focus. Fantastic. Fantastic. It's a great journey and a great story, Corey. And I'm really looking forward to hearing more about how it's going. Before we get on to that, though, we are in the insurance coffee house this morning. I know it's early there in Colorado today. What is your go-to coffee of choice in the morning, Corey? Well, I am unfortunately not a coffee drinker, but I do like going to coffee houses for the internet or tea. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> so you're here for the internet today. I'll uh, show you the Wi-Fi code. That's, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Great stuff. Great stuff. Thank you, Corey. Corey, we've we touched upon the sort of the solution, the sort of the gap in the market there. But would you mind giving our listeners an overview of the business, where it is at the moment, what you're doing at the moment and what the plans you have going forward? Yeah. Absolutely. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about our business. But before I do that, I think I should talk about the market a little bit more. So we talked about the fact that flood is the most challenging peril to underwrite. So that's that's definitely a given. Because of that, it's very, very difficult to price flood risk adequately. Mm. And also, the people who've been buying flood risk and flood insurance, by and large, have been required by lenders to do it because they're in a high FEMA flood zone. FEMA is the government organization that puts the flood zones out. So if you have a building that's in that zone and you have a mortgage, you have to get flood coverage. You can't, you can't not get flood coverage. So that's really what was doing it is it was mostly compulsory. The problem is that flood is the most expensive and frequent disaster in the U.S. every year. Since 1996, 99% of U.S. counties have suffered from a flood, 99%. So there's nowhere you can go. Just because you're not in a high FEMA flood zone doesn't mean that you're going to be not exposed. As a matter of fact, here in Colorado, I own a home that I rent out now. My kids, we raised our kids there. and They're all grown up. But essentially that home is in the flattest, driest part of the state. Um, you know, I, I call it the start of the Great Plains from that house straight across to, you know, Kansas and Nebraska. It's just flat, right? And so, <laughs> so um, you could have never convinced me that there was flood risk there. But in 2013, there were huge rains. It rained for a month um, in Colorado. Boulder had very, very serious floods that took out entire towns. And we had two inches of water in our basement and we had neighbors that had four feet of water. So in the most unlikely place, you can have a flood problem. And that's what people don't realize. So because of this and because of this dynamic, um, 90%, about 90% of the, the buildings in the U.S. are not covered for flood. And they're all, but they're all exposed to the loss. And 70% of all losses are not covered. So in other words, someone has a loss and they don't have insurance for it. 
And so it's it's one realizes. So our long-term goal is that we want to be able to fill that um, protection gap, we call it. So we won't fill the whole thing, rethought, but we think we can get it going and be the catalyst to, to make yeah. that. So that's our goal. How does it work there, Corey? Because you were saying that traditional buyers of flood insurance are people who are required to buy their mortgage providers because they're in you know, a flood risk area. Obviously, across a book of business, usually on property-related risk, you know, you've got a pool where you know you've got some safe risks and you've got some more risky risk and obviously the whole idea of insurance is that pooling of of risk how does that work if everybody is in high risk flood zone well that's the thing is that what's happening is people are some you know people don't know how to price it adequately we do that's what we really pride ourselves in so we really assess the risk you know in a very scientific way and that assessment is what really results in our pricing so that's really how we do it. But what that means is sometimes our price is not attractive. So somebody else may do it for less um, or it may be unaffordable because we really will price to the risk. But a lot of times the risk seems high, but you won't um, actually have as much risk as that indicates. Yeah. So there's lots of other factors. And so sometimes we can be very, very competitive. And so that's how we do it is we try and give the right price. It may not be the cheapest, but we try and give the right price. But but to answer your question, to really expand and penetrate the market, there's a lot of low-risk properties in the country. There's a lot of high-risk properties in the country, regardless, it makes really no difference whatsoever. And so um, to be able to right price everything is how you'll make it affordable for a large percentage of the population. And so that's our goal. Brilliant. Fantastic, Kai. In terms of the business itself, where are you mm -hmm. at the moment? You know, How many states are you operating in? Uh, how many people have you got working for you there? Where's the business at the moment? Yeah, we, we basically were licensed in all 50 states. We have risks in over 40 states. So we made a very concerted decision to distribute our risk across um, the country um, yeah. so that no single storm can take us out. So yeah. that, that's really what we, we we work very hard at that. So we've got uh, 31 people on the team, um, a few part-time, but we have 31 people. Um, and, uh, you know, we're now fundraising. So we're going to be... Um, Probably not quite doubling, but something, you know, adding adding a little bit less than, you know, than double. Right. Fantastic. Fantastic. Sounds like a really exciting time to be at the business and some really interesting plans going forward. In terms of the product that you have, how have you gone mm -hmm. about developing that over the last few years since you, since you set up the business? How have you gone about developing that? Product. Well, the flood product itself is based on policy forms, and we have multiple different um, channels to market. So we have commercial, we have high net worth, each of them have their own different policy form. Um, we even have more than one commercial channel in each, and there they have their own policy form. So that's really the product itself. In insurance, you know, it's a joke I have is, is uh, when you're a tech guy and you're coming into insurance, you go, it's just a piece of paper. What could be so hard about that? Well, I can tell you that I, I have eaten those words many, many times. <laughs> it's very hard and very complicated. So basically, that's that's the product itself. But it's really the underwriting is the key. And the reason is that we really focus on working with our capacity providers, which are the people that actually back us. We have to have backers to write insurance. And we want to make sure that they maintain profitability. And so that's really our whole methodology is designed for that and to come up with competitive prices everywhere we should for the brokers and the end customers. Yeah. So really, that's how we put the whole thing together. Yeah, fantastic. And what what are the benefits for the policyholders and for those brokers? You mentioned the brokers; they're one of your distribution channels. 
what's the key benefits for them? Is it is it people being able to gain access to coverage that wouldn't have been able to before? Is it more accurate pricing of that product? What's the what's the big yeah. benefits for those uh, people? Yeah, yeah. For the for the customers, you know, our any private flood policy is better than the government one. And so we have added a lot of features to the policy that cover things that the government doesn't cover. So that's been a big help. But really, it is it is a lot about getting the right price because um, you want to be able to, again, satisfy the market demand. But we're not trying to satisfy everyone, because like I said, if something is really risky, we're going to charge a lot for it. In it for the long haul, then, which, you know, provides right. that stability and obviously benefits customers in the in, in the long term there what has been the biggest challenge that you've faced so far i mean building an insurance business very complicated and i'm sure there are lots of challenges along the way uh, what, what's been the biggest challenge that you found so far in this journey well when you're building a company like this um, we really wanted to do it the right way and it, it takes it takes longer than any other kind of business i've ever been in because Insurance is a, uh, it's what I call a complex multi-party transa- transaction, right? So there's a lot of people that you have to have relationships with. You have to get them all involved um, and you have to do it in a way that's um, sensible and secure. Um, and so that's really takes quite a bit of time to develop that position and that reputation. And so it took us two and a half years before we could write one policy, just to give you an idea. So it's it's a it's not an easy thing, and so the timing of it, I think, is the thing that's most different from any business I've ever been in. But it's a much more sure business because of that. So um, so it takes longer, but once you get it going, a good friend of mine who's been in the industry forever, he said he said it's really hard to start, but once you start it, it's really hard to stop. <laughs> so. Absolutely, absolutely. And and how have you found working across? all 50 states and your license across all 50 states and you've got policies in 40 of those how have you found working in those uh, those different jurisdictions well we have to be licensed by each of those states and so it's there's in insurance there's a lot of regulatory things you have to comply with for good reason by the way you know but every state has its own rules and things like that so we had to build the ability to support um, for instance, taxes and all the 50 different jurisdictions. Um, we have to be licensed in each one. Each one has its own licensing requirements. So it's, it's a whole segment of work that you have to do. But that's the only way that the states can make sure that only viable insurance companies are providing insurance. So that's 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 very important because yeah. otherwise, you know, nobody would have a policy that they could rely on at a time of need, which is not what you want, right? So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I take that fully on board Corey brings us nicely onto the espresso round now no you're not a big a big coffee drinker but you make an exception now and have an espresso <laughs> okay sounds good <laughs> <laughs> sounds good sounds good the espresso round how many people are you looking to grow the business by over the next 12 months we'll probably be bringing on 20 to 25 people um, both here and abroad Great, fantastic. So mm-hmm. looking to pretty much double the business size. Yes. What is the cultural values that you're looking to build as you do scale and grow the company? Well, you know, we're we're very concerned about culture in the company. And it's really, you know, we thought is a fun place to work, but it's very, very fast-paced because we're a startup. 
you know, if I joke, but if you want a pencil sharpened here, you have to do it yourself. <laughs> there isn't someone else. To do it. <laughs> so whatever it is, you know, so we need people who really will take initiative, but that are also very collaborative. So I think those are the two most important things is you really have to be prepared for a startup environment, but you also need to be collaborative. Our management team is very quick. So we collaborate in, you know, sometimes just a few minutes and we get you know, very big things sorted out. So we try and move fast, but really, really do the right things. So that's worked out very, very well. Awesome. Yeah. And in terms and it's of a lot of, it's a lot of it's a lot of fun, by the way. So yeah. Yeah. And 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 how how do you maintain that while trying to scale? And you know, obviously things like the pandemic has been a key key mm-hmm. issue over the last two years you know the changing nature of the working environment you know a lot of people working more from home now you know how do you build and and keep those values you know at the same time yes well essentially we have to be very careful in our hiring um you know so that's how we do it and and we have um typically several people across the company that will actually get to know everyone but it's not just for us we also want to make the candidate is very is make sure the candidate is comfortable so we really go to pretty extensive rounds um, to make sure that the candidate knows what rethought is like so they get to meet people they get to see how it works sometimes we've even done short engagements, consulting engagements before hiring somebody so that they can actually try working here and see what it looks like. And we get to know them and they get to know us. So really it's, it's, it's important across both sides. Yeah. And how do you do that when it's less, it's much more, it's much less face-to-face now, presuming over the pandemic, you've probably hired some people that you've never met face-to-face and you're building a team, you're building a culture, maybe with a lot of that being on Zoom or Teams or whatever the platform may be. What sort of extra challenge does that provide or or, or is it more of an opportunity that you can you know, find talent from all different parts of the country? Yes, it makes it very easy. We're a completely distributed remote company. We were, by the way, before the pandemic. So we've yeah. always been that way. Yeah. So, um, but what we do is we, um, before the pandemic, but we're starting again now, we have get-togethers of small groups. Um, we used to bring the whole company together. That's a little harder now. But uh, but it was interesting. There were some employees that had never met anybody at Rethought yeah. for some time. And so, uh, so during the pandemic, we actually had a, a point where the timing was pretty good. Um, and uh, uh, I actually went on a road trip. Um, and met most of the people in the eastern half of the country that, well, all the people in the eastern half of the country that work for us. And some of them, like I said, had never met a rethought person other than through Zoom. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. So, well, that must be a fun trip, actually. It was. It was. It was. Yeah. It's the longest road trip I ever did. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. No, it sounds brilliant. It sounds fantastic. Corey, we talked a little bit about your background, obviously, being very much from the tech side of things. Mm-hmm. What do you see as the value that someone from the insurance industry or the traditional sort of insurance incumbent insurance industry can bring to an organization like yours? It's absolutely critical. If I didn't have people from the insurance industry, we never would have gotten where we've gotten. So, um, you know, one of the things that you see in a lot of insure techs is uh, sometimes they're lean very heavily on the tech side and not enough on the insurance side. And it's a recipe for a disaster. You know, it's it's a very, very challenging industry. It's insurance is not like any other business I've ever been in. And I've done lots of things in my career. Yeah, so Corey, so talk there very, very openly about the importance of bringing in that insurance expertise. With your background, clearly, you know, a lot of innovation. How do you marry the two together? How do you find that balance between innovation and insurance expertise? 
Well, well, look, it's it's really the, the insurance experts in the company are really the ones that define the technology and the requirements and the needs. And then what we do is we actually on the tech side, take that and extend it to doing things that they didn't think were possible that make what they were asking for even better. So that's really how we do it. We've done some very, very innovative things on the technology side. And really for the size team we have, what we built, I think is very, very impressive. But it never could have happened at all without the insurance experts in the country the company well, it sounds incredibly collaborative so so they're saying look this is what we can do this is what we can achieve you know can you help us develop build this out and then you know there's sort of the tech side of things going yes we can do all of that but we're going to push that even further as well and show you things that you didn't really even know could be possible that's right that's exactly right yeah in my career i've really specialized in building technology for strategic advantage um, I've done it on, you know, for lots of different businesses and companies and consulting engagements I've been involved in over my career. So we did the same thing at Rethought. So it's been a lot of fun because we're doing it for our own company. Yeah. So it's that strategic advantage rather than building technology for the sake of it. It's it's really collaborative. It's highly in tune with what the insurance market needs as well. So I think I think that's I think that's fantastic. That's right. All right, final final question in the espresso round, Corey. If there are any executives out there or founders seeking to grow their their insure tech or their their MGA business, what foundations or structure would you say are critical at the beginning to have in place so that you can scale the business quickly? Yes, absolutely. Well, first of all, you have to pick the right market. And two, you have to have the right insurance expertise. And then you need to back it with technology. So, and I think, in, I think in that order. So in other words, if you start about it the other way, it doesn't work nearly as well. You, you certainly walk the walk on that front, Corey. So yeah, fantastic yes. advice. Yes, well, it's, it's really, uh, yeah, it's been very, very good and very rewarding. Like I said, there's 10,000 things I've learned that I did, had no idea existed. Um, but now our executive team is very familiar with this and our tech team. It's, it's really kind of neat to see the tech team actually come along over a period of years. And you should hear them talk now about insurance. It's pretty cool. So That's amazing. Yeah. And I'm sure that's things that people didn't think they would do in their career. Probably like yourself, probably never thought you'd be starting up an insurance business, uh, Corey. It's often, right. often the way. Right. But once you're in, you don't leave. That's the rule that we have in the insurance sector. <laughs> Kari, thank you so much for your time today. It's been fantastic to have you join us in the Insurance Coffee House. Really interesting to learn about flood insurance market and particularly what you're doing in that space, what, how you're helping you know, American homeowners and also the brokers who you know, rely on that sector provide a lot of expertise there. So, so thank you very much. It's been very, very interesting. Before we go, do you, do you have one piece of closing advice for our listeners? And if someone does want to reach out to you, maybe about the podcast or about potentially joining the company, what's the best way for them to, to reach out to you? Well, they can certainly reach me uh, by email, Corey.Isaacson at rethoughtinsurance.com. LinkedIn is also an easy way to get, get in touch with me. So any of those things will work. Yeah. So I, I would love to have people who are interested in a really dynamic, innovative place, right? So like I said, it, it's it's uh, if you've never worked in a startup, it's quite different than a big insurance company, but it's so exciting. And it, it really just is a thrilling ride. So if you if you like a challenge, then we're the right place to come. That's awesome. We'll be sure to post those your email and your and your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. So our listeners can just click straight through whilst they're listening to this podcast today. Corey, 
Thank you so much for your time today. Really, really appreciate having you on the show. It's been really interesting. And um, I know we've uh, we've been in talks to have you on the show for, for a little while now. So it's great to finally get it done. And I think it's been very, very interesting indeed. Great. Well, thanks, Nick. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Corey. And to all the InsureTech leaders or insurance leaders out there, wherever you're listening around the world today, I'm sure you would have gained a lot of valuable insights um, and advice from what Corey's had to say today. If you did enjoy the show, please remember to download and subscribe to the pod to receive each one of our episodes directly into your app each week. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, or I'd like to learn more about the competitive advantage that podcasts can give to your business when attracting talent, please reach out to us at insurance-search.com or drop us a message on LinkedIn. Until next time, I've been Nick Codley. This has been the Insurance Coffeehouse Global Insure Tech Series. Take care. You've been listening to the Insurance Coffeehouse with Nick Hoadley. Join us next time to hear more insights and inspiring success stories to help you become a better insurance business leader. Available to download or subscribe now.